Hi, I'm James Brooks, and welcome to From the Factory Floor, a conversational podcast about all things startup and tech, brought to you by the folks at startupfactory.tech. And welcome back to another episode of From the Factory Floor. As ever, I'm your host, James, and I think uh, now fairly regular is my co-host, Nairi. Oh, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? I think so. Yeah, not so bad. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Trying to keep warm. Yeah, it's that that stage of December where uh, I think heat is probably the most paramount thing, although not to uh, founders and startups who, uh, as ever, are usually after some investment, which is why we're very... uh, Gladly joined today by Chris Earl. Chris, how are you doing? Hi, James. Yes, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hi, Chris. Oh, thank you how for joining you? us. Hi, Nairi. I'm good, thank you. So, what we really want to talk about today, Chris, is about you know how you got into investing, especially you know as you do at very early stages, your experience of it, and you know some advice for people who might be either thinking about getting investment or getting into investment potentially. So I guess, first and foremost, if I sort of hand the mic over to you and do a sort of brief intro into you and what it is you do. Yeah, sure. No problem. I've been involved in active investments for probably about three years now, up until late 2020 as a chief exec at a company called Veristar, which is a multi-utility provider to SMEs in the UK. And it was private equity owned. And I think... The being involved with small businesses and understanding the private equity side of things made me see how things can work if you get it right, and also understand how things can go wrong as well. So I think that's probably when I, when I quit working full time why I decided to go down the routes in which I did. Um, and what I do now, really, well, there's two things I do really. So, so the first one is I'm a active investor in startups so an active angel if uh, we want to use that phrase and then the second thing i do is i'm a, a non-exec director in uh, a larger company as well so it gives me a good spectrum uh, of knowledge from the, the very early phase of businesses then there's a i'm a, invested in a business which is a bit bigger um so that's kind of on the scale up journey and then the business that I'm a non-exec investor in is further along that scale journey, although I wouldn't call it mature yet. It's still got a lot of growth potential, um, which it seems to be going quite well this moment in time. Nice. So, obviously, what was it that really enticed you about, one, especially the early stage aspect? Because, I mean, now you can probably speak to this as well. When we've worked with startups in the past, a lot of them, a lot of people have been really focused on that scale-up aspect rather than necessarily the startup aspect, which I know obviously with some of the ventures you've joined us on, you know, is kind of where you focused as well. Well, I wanted to be involved in the businesses that I invested in and, and to be involved at a very early stage it means you can help steer, steer it a little bit better once it's established and it's in that scale-up phase you're you, you, you have less of an impact and for me personally I wanted to be actively involved in the businesses I invested in rather than just putting some funds in so um, that was one of the reasons then secondly is a question of money 
you get a bigger slice of the, the ownership the earlier you get in because it's 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 worth it's not worth as much as gonna say it's worth less than what it sounds bad um <laughs> it's not worth as much so you get a you get a bigger share of the action but obviously you're taking far greater risk as well you know many businesses will fail in that that early period and helping them get through those first few years is um, a big win if they get that far. Yeah. But I think you're mitigating the risk as well, aren't you, by bringing your own expertise in to that, um, you know, and there's huge added value to the founder to bring somebody in with your sort of expertise early on rather than, like you say, just just writing a cheque. And I suppose just for clarity, we should say, because you have invested in a couple of the TSF early stage uh, startups at quite an early stage, um, very different. And I wondered, like, if you could just tell us a little bit about what you looked for in those businesses. Obviously, you're still looking for a degree of potential, or potential traction is more limited at that stage. So, could you just give us an indication of kind of what helped you make your decision? I suppose. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a few different things. I think the, the biggest thing of all is you've got to understand the business. So they need to kind of understand what they're trying to achieve. And coming from a background of recurring services business, I tend to focus on investments that have a recurring revenue model to them. There's lots of other good ideas and good investments, et cetera, which uh, I could look at, but I don't understand them as well as recurring revenue. So I, I look to go with something which I understand. Um, and therefore, it's really important for the founder of a business to be able to articulate very clearly and concisely what that business is going to do. And you don't need loads of detail at this stage. You just need to convey, this is what this is what the product is going to be or the service is going to be. These are the target customers and this is how it works, preferably in about 30 seconds um, because then it starts getting too complicated after that. So that's probably the, the first thing for me. Um, the second thing, like I said, is... is it being something which I feel that I can add value to. So be it recurring revenue or something else, but something where I feel that my experience is going to be relevant. I don't really want to be an investor that just puts money in and then almost becomes an overhead to the founder by asking questions which are not helpful all the time. I want to be able to um, give advice which which might speed things along, aid the decision-making process and, uh, avoid mistakes and hopefully take advantage of opportunities as, as they arrive. Um, the third thing which is important to me is starting to get a little bit of an understanding of the financial model. So particularly the unit economics of what is being produced or what is being delivered. Understanding what the, the cost of acquisition for customers is likely to be and sanity checking the assumptions from the founder in that model and also what the, the revenue the, the margin the if it's a recurring revenue model how long we anticipate the customers staying around for because th th those things can vary massively from model to model and but that's a key fundamental which you, you is, is clearly unproven at a founder stage but you have to be able to believe the assumptions that drive those numbers and challenge those assumptions and and get the founders to challenge them themselves because there is quite often a lack of knowledge, a leap of faith, um, there's the lack of information that's, that makes those numbers accurate. But 
you have to be provide as, as good an estimate as possible. I think this is one of the areas where I feel I can help because having been involved in across eight different industries in, in my previous role, you get to understand the differences in markets, but all the similarities in markets. And if I, if I can help narrow down the the range of estimation within those models, it A, can encourage me as an investor and B, hopefully make sure the founders making decisions which ultimately are going to make sense in the long run. Yeah, because I think when it comes to numbers, it's interesting when we get decks and often sort of people ask for advice on the sort of numbers they need to be looking at. It's that balance between what's a reasonable number to tell in the story versus wanting to show some optimism and a bit of drive versus them wanting to not seem like they're being so overly ambitious that they're ridiculous. I think that's often the sort of try to thread the needle aspect that yeah. especially when it comes to financial predictions that a lot of founders I think tend to struggle with. Yeah, I think um, as a founder, you've got to be A, confident that you're going to deliver some, some good numbers uh, and B, investors kind of want to see that there's, um, there's, a, there's a big opportunity. So you've got to show them enthusiasm and what good could look like and then also most investors are kind of aware that people are overselling a little bit at this stage so they always discount the numbers anyway so if you don't give them some good numbers to begin with then it gets discounted you put yourself in a, in a real problem but but it has to, you've got to be you've got to be sensible it's got to be realistic if you put some numbers out there which i don't believe in i won't invest it, it's as simple as that so you've got to be believable it's got to make sense um albeit maybe it's the, the the upside case that we're looking at as opposed to the um a more normalized case if that makes yeah. sense how um obviously we've talked about the numbers and the business but how important is the profile and the personality of the founder as well in terms of yeah, I think probably, to invest probably storm up under there. That's the, probably the point oh, I was sorry. going to end on because I think, oh, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. The, the person or the people are really, really important. You've got to be able to see the potential for that person to be able to run uh, a reasonably sized, successful business. Um, for me, it's important that, that I like them and I get on with them because if I want to be absolutely involved in helping a business, I want to want to do it. I don't want to feel like I have to do it because I put some money in and not want to speak to the people involved at any point in time. So um, you've got to you got to want to work with people. You've got to like them, um, and I think you've got to buy into their their knowledge and their enthusiasm and their ambition. Um, and if you don't buy into those things, then you know, it makes sense not not to. Make the investment that, that that's fine you don't always gel with everybody i'm sure there'll be some very successful people that i wouldn't invest in simply because at any point in time i didn't i didn't buy into that buy into them for one particular reason um you know we will all make mistakes but ultimately being able to work with people and being able to, to see the potential in people is, is hugely important in in any investment i think it's always the it's the it's that potential both in terms of revenue and like just general scale and seeing where this can go that I think when we look at startups it's what we look for that you know there's a, there's a founder who's we think is capable of doing this you know it's the classic 
why you, why now from the pitch deck kind of yeah. thing. And yeah. the, the market's going to be there in the future. And I guess, what is it that you look for, Chris, in terms of, you know, especially towards the back end? Because I've seen more and more decks where people are starting to put, you know, exiting in three to five years or, you know, exiting seven to ten years. Is that the sort of thing you look at as well in terms of where they want to step out of this? Or is, it, or is that not, doesn't come into your thinking? It, it's not a major factor to me, to be honest. I think you you look for an investment that's going to be successful and you know that it's going to take a number of years for that to be successful. If a founder is thinking on a, say, three to five year horizon, it's not necessarily a problem as long as you can see there's, there could be a plan for either for them to be replaced or more likely for that business to be to be sold and the, the acquirers putting the, the people in place. Um, Having said that, you, you obviously want people to be fully committed to what they're doing. So they need you need to believe that they are going to do whatever it takes, work really hard, be resilient, etc. during the period in which they are there. Um, but I, I'm more relaxed on exit profiles because I'm not working with exit um, funders, etc. So I've not got to return a profit to any external people. So hence it just works on my timeline. Um, as long as it's successful in the long run, which is you know, the main thing for me. I think one of the things you mentioned as well, though, is about sort of your role, because you know, whether it's that three to five years or seven to ten, I think we've seen a lot is the role of what you do, not because you want to be more than just providing funds. And you see a lot of times you can get investors who are just, you know, here's the cash, they sit on the board and they just turn up to the monthly board meetings and just want that sort of feedback. What's the most common type of support you've seen founders really need from their early stage investors? I think it really depends on the the, the founder themselves. I think some some people are more happy to be able to run the business their way and almost just report in. So you, you, you kind of use the opportunity to touch base with them and give some advice, but it's you're not that actively involved with those. With, with others, they generally want the challenge and a second opinion on the things that they're doing. I, and I'm, I'm relatively happy to do both as long as I feel I am adding something to it. I don't want to be just just, just the money because it doesn't fit with what I want to do. There's absolutely nothing wrong with people that do that, but it's just not what I want to do. Um, so particularly in the early stages, it, it, it's providing the sounding board and the challenge to what can be quite a lonely thing to do to start your own business and have nobody else to talk to. So if if I can do that and uh, make sure that they that they do make sense in how they're thinking about things, uh, I, I guess it can be helpful. I also feel that I'd like to stick with the businesses throughout their journey and help them scale up and help them become substantial businesses because I, I think I've had the experience in the past in, in in my career of doing that. The business that I ended up running, I was there for twenty five years, and it went from essentially a startup all the way through the growth and by the time I left there's 1100 people there so it's a pretty big business you know it's a pretty mature business um mm-hmm. so I've, I've seen most stages of growth and therefore I think I can hopefully at least have an opinion uh which which may be helpful um hopefully no it is one of the things I was going to ask you Chris I think getting those first 
tranche of sales in, that early traction for founders seems to be the hardest, doesn't it? Because once you've got a little bit of traction, you can use that to build on and get more and more. And I think it's the bit that founders, we see James as well, they struggle to get off the mark early on. And I just wonder kind of what your advice is to those founders that seem to have tested product market fit, they've got a great product, they've done their MVP, but they've now got to get out and actually sell it, which is probably out of a lot of founders' comfort zones. What's your experience? I, or I think, any I think that's the real issue. I think a, a lot of founders fall into the trap of thinking producing a good product or service is going to be enough to sell it. Yeah. It's not. There's going to be lots and lots of good ideas, good products, good businesses that fail because they don't find that route to market. And Selling products is hard, particularly if you've never sold that particular product before, because there's lots and lots of different ways to make to make sales and, and they don't work in all circumstances. I think it's really important for startup businesses to preserve as much cash as possible, to be very tight on their cash control so that they can build a bit of contingency around their sales and marketing activity to allow them to experiment and then once they find something that is starting for, to work for them, work that, iterate that, make it more efficient, rather than looking at lots of other things which may work as well. If you find something that's starting to work, follow your nose and make that better, rather than trying to find something that which works a little bit better and a little bit better. You've got you've got to um, focus on the few to make it successful because it is hard. It is hard, and that's why a lot of businesses struggle to get that initial traction um and it's it's really important as well because one of the things i was going to mention is um raise, raising money is quite difficult for founders to get that seed money to put in there is quite hard i think it becomes even harder once you've been around for a while and you've not got traction for other people to then invest because there's an element of doubt about the ability to market. Yeah. Whereas in the early stages, it's more a leap of faith and you just you just have to believe it can be done as an investor. So um, I don't think any founder should underestimate the, the importance of that early traction, both in terms of getting revenue in, but also to be attractive to other um, investment if that's what's going to be required for the scale-up journey. 100% and I think the, like the idea of traction as well, obviously when we're looking at MVPs, the sort of traction we're looking at is potentially user research, you know, potentially testimonials at that level, just to see what, because um, some people can't generate sales before they've got their MVP, but we have seen more and more recently on Winari, the people who've got some financial traction, whether it's selling, yeah. you know, before it exists, and that really helps people to make decisions, like you said, Chris, have the confidence. Yeah. This yeah. is an yeah. investment. But I think, and I think, not. You know, founders also need to buy into what an MVP is as well. Each each word is very important in that. It is the minimum, but it's also the viable, and it needs to be a product. Once you have that, then don't worry that it's not perfect. Don't worry that it doesn't do this, that, and everything else. Try and sell it, and then you'll also get the feedback from that early sales process about what the next best, best thing to add to the product is. So you, you may well be wrong in what that you think it needs this, this, and this. It might need that, that, and that. And you'll get yeah. that feedback from your customers who are the best people to give you feedback. Yeah, so they have to be using it, don't they? And that's yeah. absolutely something. And it's something that came up at the 
UK Business Angels Conference actually last week around like what does traction look like? If you can't sell it, then it can be letters of intent or something, but it needs to be something that's that's demonstrable. Um, and just finally, Chris, I just we are, you have given sort of loads of advice in these sort of twenty minutes for founders, which is really useful. But as somebody, I imagine you get quite a few uh, pitch decks or pitched a lot. And if you don't, you definitely will after this one. Um, you know, what's what's the kind of one bit of advice you feel yourself consistently saying to founders or the thing that, you know, you'd really want to hammer home? Um, I think that probably as an investor, you want to see someone that's really enthusiastic about what they're doing. They need to really believe that they are going to be very successful. And they also need to be confident as well. I think don't be scared about talking about your product because you're you're going to be the expert compared to the investors. The investors will ask questions. Sometimes they'll be daft questions. Sometimes they'll be difficult questions. But ultimately, that's not what they're going to judge you on. They're going to judge you on the products, the enthusiasm, whether you whether they believe in you to de- to de- deliver what they got, and they'll sort of be looking for that enthusiasm and also resilience and um important things like people just w- wanting to work hard etc you know they're going to put everything they need to to make it their um, their, their business a success i think i think that's the thing that's the most important to look for is let's say, i mean we always look for the story like i say is it usually looking at the problem is it something they've experienced understand is it part of an industry they've worked in so they know what's happening and they just need that in our case, more so, you know, that technical help to turn that problem into the solution they understand. And like you say, Chris, focus on all three aspects of what's the smallest thing we can actually make some work, but still productize, still make sure it's something that people yeah. are willing to pay for. And if you can believe that story, believe the person and, you know, back up with the why it's now the right time to do this, it's really makes it harder and harder to actually say, think this isn't something that's going to work. Yeah, 100%. Um, and keep some money back for that sales and marketing as well, because you're going to need it. So <laughs> make sure you make sure well, you I'm pretty sure you were on a call where you, didn't you say something about, the, no disrespect to the marketing, but it's just there to look good or something. So I'm glad <laughs> to see you've redeemed yourself. <laughs> I wasn't saying it was unimportant what we were talking not, not about. Not that I've, uh, you know, that that I'm very neglected. The message I was trying to get across, though, is that the, the personal touch is really important yeah. as well it, in some circumstances. In some products, in other products which I'm involved in, it, it's, it doesn't need any personal touch whatsoever. And, you know, so that's why the sales and marketing route has got to be appropriate for your service. Yeah. There isn't one that we call yeah. it. Yeah, so at this stage, it's always about the founder, isn't it? Which is what we, you know, which is something we've been pushing when we've been speaking to founders. It has to be founder-led at early stage and the marketing is there to support that. So yeah, yeah. I'll let you off. Totally agree. <laughs> so, Chris, I know we really appreciate you coming on. If um, So people have got an idea or they've got a startup and they're looking at investment and would like to reach out, what sort of information would you want them to have before actually reaching out to you and then if they have got that what's the best way to get hold of you i think the usual way is through linkedin that's the one that seems to work most uh, for most people you reach out to me on linkedin you'd, you'd expect so there to be some form of deck so you can get an understanding understand what the it it looks like it doesn't have to be particularly refined etc we've got to give an idea of what's going on and enough to make 
investors to say, yeah, I want to find out a little bit more about this and also be prepared to get lots of no's because, you know, I, I there's, there's lots of things that I won't invest in. It doesn't mean it's not a great idea. It just yeah. means it's not for me. So mm-hmm. don't, don't be too disheartened if you get a no. Anyway, I was thinking um, about this when I was just thinking about the podcast. I wouldn't have invested in Tesla and the, the first Tesla that came out because I wouldn't understand the potential of the car market well enough yeah. to think that I can be of an assistance. Clearly, that would have been a really bad decision, but I'd probably <laughs> still make that decision again with the next Tesla. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, and um, we, listen, we see loads of stuff, James, don't we, where it comes to us and we and it, one set of angels say no and the next minute another set of angels have said yes, it is about right fit for that um, investor and that startup. So totally get that. No, it's a lot of it is a lot about doing your research on whatever stage of investment you're at, who you're speaking to, what type of things that they like to invest in as well. So, um, so what we'll do, Chris, we'll put, a, if you don't mind, a link to your um LinkedIn. Yep, no problem. As I said, if you want to get in touch, they can do. And really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Chris. That was really useful for everyone. No, it was okay. great. Good to speak to you both. Yeah, thanks so much. Oh, thank thanks. You. Thanks. And thank you, Nairi. Okay. See you, James. Thanks. And for everyone listening, thank you very much. And we'll catch you on the next one. I think that just about wraps things up here. If you have any thoughts or questions on anything we said today, get in touch, whether that be through our Twitter at RealTSF or email at hello at startupfactory.tech. Or feel free to drop in for a coffee and a chat. As ever, thanks for listening.